Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. How do you explain by reading the KIR test if the couple are compatible or incompatible as the result came back as the following? And it's a very long result. So, Okay, you're not talking to an expert in that field. One of the things that's very important is that when a doctor doesn't know what they're talking about, they don't try and uh, bullshit you. <laughs> so I'm not going to bullshit you. I don't. I know what the test is for allegedly to find compatibility but in fact really it requires an expert to interpret i'm happy to find that out for your specific case if you wanted to email me the results uh, at michael.chapman at ivf.com.au and i'm happy to give you an answer but i'll be talking to an expert so sorry if i can't give you the answer tonight will i need to be on birth control pills before ivf Uh, You won't need to. There is actually some, and it's reasonably good evidence in in randomized controlled trials that show that being on the pill may actually be detrimental to an IVF cycle. So personally, I never use it. The only times I might use it is to control a cycle around Christmas when our lab might be closed. That's the only time. It doesn't make very much difference, even those studies that show that taking it is not as good an outcome. But generally, I avoid it and because of those studies. I know some clinics use it to control the cycles. So they know if they stop it on a pick day, they know that pretty much when your egg collection is going to be somewhere 11 to 14 days later. Some clinics do use it as a controlling mechanism, but in terms of helping your IVF, zero help or worse. So the next question I have here, Prof, is do you test the uterine wall to make sure it's receptive? Can you also do a uterine scratch test? Yeah. The physiology of this is that the lining of the womb changes substantially from the time you start a period uh, and finish a period to the time you ovulate to the time that the embryo is ready to attach itself. And that particular moment in time of embryo attachment, the lining of the womb has differentiated uh, into a structure which has glands that produce secretions in which the growth factors and the things that foster embryo growth and implantation are released. That period of time when all of those things are optimal for implantation are about five days after ovulation or after egg collection for IVF. Probably that's called the receptivity window. It probably is not as narrow as some people may have thought. It's quite a wide window, probably of two to three days. If your lining is not synchronous, in other words, it's not in sync with your ovulation time, perhaps because your progesterone levels are too low, therefore those changes which are driven by progesterone haven't occurred, then possibly your receptivity window is moved later. That's been argued as a a major reason why IVF might fail. In fact, that was in vogue probably five years ago 
But today we're not as convinced. There have been tests developed at significant cost to patients, one called ERA, where a sample is taken on the day of, in the previous cycle, the day on which implantation would occur, sent off after $1,500 worth of testing, looking for gene changes, because as part of that changing process of the lining of the womb, we also get changing of the genes that drive each of those cells to do what they need to do. If we measure those genes, there are changes that are associated with implantation. And therefore, by measuring those genes, perhaps we can get a better idea of where you are in the receptivity window. Makes good theoretical sense. However, despite it being marketed that way, a large randomized controlled trial undertaken by the group that developed it, so they're already potentially biased, but it was a randomized, proper randomized trial, did not show that ERA works. I have colleagues who work in that clinic who stopped using ERA because they don't think it adds value. And there are many other reasons why implantation doesn't occur, and it probably isn't related to the receptivity window. Can we test it? Yes, we can. And there are two methods. One is the one I've talked about, which is looking at the genes and is a very expensive test. And I would certainly never use it on a patient. The second way and a simpler way is an old fashioned technique, which was written up in 1952 by a pathologist called Noyes, N-O-Y-E-S. And he looked at samples on every day of the menstrual cycle and he documented those changes in the glandular structure, the, the way in which the building blocks of the endometrium are put together. And within 48 hours accuracy, he can actually pick which day of the cycle you are. In a normal menstrual cycle, 28 days, on day 21 should be those changes that are most indicate the most receptive time. So looking at that, those, that histopathology, which any gynecologist doing a scrape of the lining of the womb can determine, can tell us whether you're in sync or not. It's incredibly rare not to be in sync. And that's why I think that most of these testings are really a waste of time. If you've got embryos which have been tested to be genetically normal, and that's the main reason why implantation doesn't occur is because those embryos are not genetically normal. Nature is dealing with mistakes. And sadly, in the female, even at the age of 30, up to 50% of the eggs are going to be genetically abnormal. By 40, it is, it is 80%. And by 45, is 98% of eggs that are produced are genetically abnormal and will never lead to a pregnancy. That's the main reason why implantation doesn't occur. If you genetically test those embryos and then you do not get pregnant, we do go for looking for other causes. The lining of the womb may be one of those. There are other causes as well, but dealing, we're dealing with the endometrium at the moment. You mentioned the endometrial scratch. Well, an endometrial scratch, we can send off to pathology and do that testing that I was talking about, the histological dating of the endometrium using noise criterion. I'm not sure whether you're asking the question, does scratching help to create a better implantation? Now, the biggest randomized controlled trial of it published in a New England journal showed it made no difference whatsoever. It was a passing phase where endometrial scratch was what was being done, supposedly to improve your chances of getting pregnant. People were being charged, I don't know, 100 bucks or so to have that scratch done. But the evidence is it makes no difference. There are many things that come and go in IVF. There are vogues for things. But until you have randomized controlled trials that show something really works, there's no point in doing them. I hope that's covered the question. 
And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 